Our next speaker in success stories is Adrian Baragaba from the Babanbura clan of the Wangan and Jagalingu people of central Queensland. Um, Adrian's uh, uh, a leader in the fight against the um, coal mining projects in his country. And again, I'll leave it to Adrian to explain to us how his people are defending their country. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you very much. Thank you, Vicky. Um, thank you for inviting me and uh, allowing us to come and present our struggle. And we, sorry. Oh, that's noisy, eh? And uh, I'd like to pay respects to the Gadigal people and whose land on where we stand here today. And uh, we acknowledge their law and custom that dates back to time immemorial. And uh, we'd also like to pay respect to the elders, past and present, and also to the dignitaries and... Uh, the special repertoire, and uh, those others that have come today to listen to what we have to present. So my position is uh, I'm a spokesperson for the Wangan Jagalingu Family Council. Uh, little, little was known about the Wangan Jagalingu people, and uh, 12 months ago we weren't really heard of. But uh, we're from the Galilee Basin. This is the richest coal mining deposit in the whole of Australia, if not the world. And uh, until uh, such time as uh, I got involved with Native Title, uh, our people were going along signing everything. They were signing all the CHMPs and signing whatever was put in front of them. Because we're in this position now where our people are told all the time, if you don't sign this, you don't get anything. And this is the problem, because we, a lot of our people are uh, caught in the welfare mentality and... The government and mining companies think that uh, we have this uh, entitlement mentality. But in actual fact, where we're coming from as a people now, we have, we have formed ourselves as a council. So the family council are representative of the 12, representation of the 12 apical ancestors from that country. And so they have appointed me as well as my niece, um, Marawa Johnson, uh, who is here today as well and also my assistant, uh, who's a campaign manager that uh, is working with the council to fight against the Adani mining project. This is one of the biggest mining projects in the southern hemisphere, and uh, the problem is uh, not too many people are really concerned about the water that's out there. There are two groups of blackfellas, saltwater and freshwater. We are, we are the freshwater people, and basically... You see, in, in uh, the Galilee Basin, that's where the, uh, the Great Artesian Basin is. And what potentially will happen here is this, if this mining company goes ahead, it will destroy the whole world. I spoke to uh, uh, Larissa Waters, and she said that this will, this will devastate the whole world. And so it is incumbent upon us as custodians, as the real custodians, to stand and protect the land. You know, um, I heard before, like, you know, the, the notion there's two people. Well, there is, you know, various interpretations. 
There's people that are concerned about the soul and the heart of man, and then there's those that are concerned about the land and the soul and the heart of the land. Our responsibility to our children is to hand on to them that we stand and defend that country. And it is our duty to our ancestors to stand and fight. Just like when Captain Cook first came sailed into Botany Bay, those people, they were standing there, the first people they seen, and they stopped them. And they threw sticks at them and stones, just like anybody would protect their private property. And they were told there and then, you can't come here. And so you will go right back to the, the first day, they're here illegally. They don't, the constitution doesn't make any sense. It's not legitimate. It wasn't, wasn't ratified properly. And they went out and they, they, they tore our people from our land. They tore them from the land by gunpoint. They raped, murdered, destroyed our people, separated from, from the land. They took my father and my grandfather from, from the land and they took them and put them on a mission station. We call them concentration camps. Couldn't go from there. Took them to Bramber, to Sherberg. And every time, every time my grandfather spoke his language of my father, they were beat up. They were put in a, in a, in a, in a, in a hole and they, and, they were, and they were mistreated. And through all this process, I'm reminded about the struggle of my grandfather when he said no, they didn't consent to the Aboriginal Protection Act that he didn't consent to be taken off his land. And this is where we're standing today. We don't consent. We don't consent to any mining company, anywhere, any foreign companies, coming and destroying our sacred sites. And that's the main principle of why I'm here today, to defend our sacred sites. The place that we're talking about is the Dungabula Springs. It's a place that feeds into the Carmichael, into the Baliando, into the Burdekin and to the Great Barrier Reef, to the saltwater people. This water also travels down to across the Bidjara country, down to Bajiri, Kalali, Kuma, Kumaroi. All that story goes all the way. And we call that one, we call it Mandanjara. They call it Mundakara. That's the rainbow, rainbow spirit. That's the water spirit. And so... We're protecting that. That's our dreaming. But we're always continually asked to give our story. Native title asks us, what's your story? Our lawyers, you know? You know some of those really deadly lawyers they talk about? You know, Chalk and Fitzgerald? Yeah. They told us, you've got no story, brother. You know why? You was taken off your land. You've been disconnected. You've got nothing. You can't speak up. You can't say anything about these mining companies taking your land because you don't have a story. It's not up to lawyers. It's not up to anybody. It's not up to, it's not up to the government. It's not up to politicians. That's for a judge to decide whether what I believe is real or not. So we intend to go to that point to explain about our belief. And so we're, we're, we're talking, and we've been talking about this all around the world. We've got some help from some, uh, some green groups that have come along and helped us to, to do some things, but it's our fight, it's our struggle. And so we've been talking about 
our land and our story and uh, our different Maoris. That one Maori, that's the Babanbara, that's the bottle tree. Baban is the, is the bottle tree. That's the that's our totem. And uh, the other Maori, that's the Wakilbara, that's the eel. And the eel, they flourish in the Kamako River. So that's the totemic beings. And then we have the, the trees, which are connected to the water, the Malaluka, waxy cabbage palm. These are trees that flourish on water. And then they're connected to the animals, the porcupine, the emu. And then on, the, on my fa- father, grandfather's side, that's the Sangawana. You see? And they know this. The government knows. The lawyers know. But they want to know whether we know. But when we tell them how we're connected, they become scared. They're frightened. Because we say, well, they recorded my grandmother's brother speaking when he was first taken off country. And he told them there and then, we own the water. It's written down. The anthropologist wrote it down. I'm going to take that to the high court. He also said, on my father's side, we own the fire. What does that mean? We invented fire. We're the ones who invented it. So we own it in Jagalingu and Wangan country. So the people on the water side, they had no fire. So they married the people with the fire. That's the Wangan. And that's how you got the two. The Wangan and the Jagalingu. And so why do we have to keep explaining ourselves? Why do we have to keep trying to justify who we are and what we are? But they already know. This is the problem. You see, the native title process, they don't want to hear you unless you're a part of this. You've got to sign up, sign the contract so that you can have a say. Otherwise, they won't listen to you. Before I was an applicant, I was out there telling them all kinds of things. They don't have any jurisdiction. Your laws don't apply to us. We're not British subjects. At what point does your law say that we're going to do this? They didn't want to listen to me. So when I become an applicant, they say, well, you've got to look out now because we're going to fight them to the end. And when I say, when I say fight, that just means stand and protect the country. Just like those fellows did the first day when Captain Cook came. And if they haven't got the idea yet, they will. Because they can't prove ownership. They don't have a lodial title to the land. They don't own it. And this is the problem. No one's going up there testing them. Just like our people say, oh, we get arrested all the time for going hunting and fishing and gathering. We're taking too much fish. The rangers, they come and arrest us. Clear. You've got to challenge it, brother. Go up to the court. Tell them. And you'll find that you've got the right to go and hunt and fish and gather on your own country. You don't need to be a native title holder. So you've got to show them, ask them about that law, the same as that Native Title Act. Native Title Act was put together by an inferior law. You know, you're talking about an act of parliament, a statute that, that, a, that a government has put together. You know, and they're controlling our people by that. I had the CEO of the of South East Queensland Native Title stand in front of our people with the, with the Native Title book 
saying to me, this is our mandate. I said, that's not your mandate, brother. Your mandate should be the Mabo decision. That's the thing that won us for us. And if we want a treaty, we've got to go back to the Mabo decision. Because that's the point there, where we are recognised as the first people. Because they try to legitimise the theft. There was a theft. There was no war. There was no session. There was just a theft. They come along and they moved in. And they just started moving people away. And I suppose they think might is right. They've got a gun. And that's all they think they can use. Gun and power. That's their power. But we, our right, our basic human right, is to think and believe what we want. So long as it's not harming anybody else, it's not hurting anyone. And if we come together in a group of people that believe the same thing, and we're connected to that land, and we can identify our dreaming and our totems, and we want to practice that and we want to believe that, we've got a right to believe it. And if 116, 116 of the Constitution enables other people to have a religious belief in this land, and they're allowed to practice their religion, then why can't we say those dreaming tracks and those stories and those totems are our spiritual connection? They keep telling us. The lawyers keep telling us. It's your spiritual connection. Try to prove it. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't really care too much about like, what constitutional recognition is about because I don't think the constitution really been ratified properly by Queen Victoria in the first place because Queen Victoria also said that you weren't usurped the sovereignty of the tribes in the Pacific Island Protection Act in 1872 and in 1875. So what, what, what does it lend us, the constitution? has no value for us, just like all the rest of Australians. They get the thing confused. Talk about, you know, freedom of speech. There's no freedom of speech. No freedom of This is not America. It's a freedom of political communication. You see, we... This whole system that we're living under here, it's just... It's just fabricated. Unless we stand, like we've done, the Wanganjagalingu people, this is the only way they will hear us. Stand together as a people. And our purpose is to unite the tribes. Just like my father, grandfather, with Sangawana. I might go to someone's country, they're Sangawana. I'm respecting that law. And this is how we unite. They came and they said that we're uncivilized people. We have no law, no custom, no culture. They treat us like, a, uh, like animals, like monkeys. They gave the, the pastoralists and people like that, gave them guns to go out and shoot us and massacre and kill our people. And, and because they, they, they had no conscience about it, they thought that we, you know, we were insignificant. This, is, this has been the problem. And they continue to keep thinking that we're insignificant, that we need to be controlled. You can't think for yourself. You're juveniles. You're too, you, you, you're too small in your thinking. But when you form a council, you, you, you form a body of people that believe in the same thing that you believe and you're all the same people from that country, then you treat it with the people, neighbouring people. And this is how I found out when we went to Canada and we spoke to the, 
the Chippewa people and some of the chiefs there, that this is how they got their treaty, that they come together and acknowledge each other's law. That's their first step. You know, as we were talking last night, it's like, it's talk, yeah, a lot of talk. But when we really identify it, we don't kill our totem, right? That's law. We don't steal. That's law, because you don't go on someone else's country unless you carry a message stick, unless someone knows you from that country, or you go on there and you pay respect. You can't just walk around and take things from that country. We know that. Those two principles of law were there in place before the British came. How could we be primitive? How could we be people with no law if we had those two principles? That's the basis. That's the basic. And then everything else extends from that to the universe, to the stars. Hunting and walking across the planet at night, travelling by the stars. We don't just, we don't, we're not just here. We're, we're, we're connected with the universe. And when we talk about like globalisation, what, what, are, what are we giving up? What are we forfeiting as the first people, as the first nations? What are we giving up to be a global citizen? Our identity will be lost forever. If we allow these mining companies to go and rape the land, and they are raping the land because the land is our mother. We come from that land. We're born from that land. From the red ochre and the yellow ochre and the black and the white. And they're raping our mother. And I know this under Aboriginal law anywhere. Any Aboriginal people. We know this. We don't have the right to sign their land away. That's a crime punishable by death. We don't sign our land. I won't consent. I won't consent to them taking the land. You can't get to the coal if you're going to kill our totems, if you're going to destroy our dreaming. And that's where we stand with this. We rejected a land use agreement twice. The Wangan Jagalingu people, back in 2012, the majority of our people came together and said, no, we kicked them out of the room. We said, get out. They came back again, Adani. In 2014, they thought they had it in the bag again. Uh, you know, great amount of like, uh, you know, offers, you know, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, contracts, running buses, you know, all of these in, 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 in enticing things that they wanted to offer us. You know, you can have this, you know, if you let us destroy your dreaming. You can have this if you give up all your water and don't tell anybody. Well, when they said to me, oh, look, you signed this here, you, you can't tell anyone, I said, well, I'm not going to do that because I like to tell the story, see? And so our people said no. And from that point, we formed the, the tribal council, the representatives of all the family groups, and we continued to fight. And then when we stood up, people from all walks of life came to support us and help us. But it's been our fight. We're the ones who's taken the fight up to the government, the native title process, and eventually to the court. And we know that we all have a lot, a lot of trouble with a native title. And 
I would just like to say that there is a there's a comforting thought that you know there's more than one way to skin a cat. And when they say, if you want to stop this mine, you've got to put it in a submission. And you've got three months to do that. Go around, gather all your information, and get all the law people, tell us all the stories in three months. I know, you know, it's impossible, eh? They know that too. In three months, get all that information, bring it back to us, and then we'll see if it's any good. This is Chalk and Fitzgerald. We'll see if this is any good, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take it up at the court. Well, we said, no, bugger that. So we just did up our own little statement, put all of our maoris and totems and all of our dreaming and everything in the statement. We said, no, you can't have it. We sent it straight to the Native Title Tribunal. Less than $150,000 that we were quoted by the lawyers, embarrassers. So they're telling us, you can't do this, brother. It's going to cost you too much money. Money, money, money. That's what they're saying. We're offering you billions. If you want to fight us, you need to get money. So, anyway, what happened is that they didn't really want to accept it, the Native Total Tribunal, um, and then they changed their mind. They wanted to accept the statement. We had a bit of opposition from the other applicants and our, um, our lawyers, once again. But then... Um, we appeal then to the federal court to accept, to allow that to, for allow them to accept it, and so we're going to the federal court now with a judicial review of the native title process. And out of this process, we could probably we could probably change a whole lot of things to deal with native title, and we know that the native title is a racially discriminatory piece of legislation, because nowhere in the world. Does anybody have to prove their spirituality or their religious connection to land to claim their title to land? Why are we the only people in the world that have to do that? If I can prove my father, grandfather, great-grandfather come from that land, I owned it under possessory title. I owned the allodial title to that land. And we never died out. We never signed it away. There's no contract. There's no treaty with this country. That's my land. And if you want to take it, you've got to compensate me and my family and my people. And the question is always going to be, are we Aboriginal or are we British subjects? At what point did their law take effect? What point did British law take effect? They tell me that it was at the point of colonisation. Well, then I'm a British subject. I'm not a native title. I'm not Aboriginal. I'm a British subject. If I'm a British subject under British law, ruled by British law, then you should compensate me for the loss of my property. They don't want that question. Let's take that question up to the federal court. Let's take it to the high court. Let's ask them that question. And that's where we are. So they want to fight. If this mining company here wants to fight me, we're going to take it all away. They want to continue to fight. They've thrown up the, they've thrown up the white flag already. Because this, this Commonwealth of Australia, they don't want this fight. Because they know it's coming. And it's going to start to change things. And I'll give all the credit to my people because we stood together. And uh, my family council backed us. I mean, look... Uh, you believe me, I went kicking and I, I opposed everything. I didn't want to. No, don't put me... I don't want to campaign. I can support you and give you advice. I don't want to... No, you get up there, brother. I said, well, I've got to bring my niece along. And uh, we're going to have the, the, the young people learning. And, uh, you know, women as well. So we're, we're sharing that load.
Because our women have their story too. Because those water holes and sacred sites, that's where all the birthing places, that's where it all began. That's where them totems first come from. That's where the language come from. And so our women will carry that, that water. It's very important. But our men, our men are responsible to take up that nulla nulla and take up that killer boomerang and we'll stand and we'll protect them and we'll protect our children because they're first connected to the land. And it's raw what I'm saying. And it's real. And I, I don't deal with statutes and acts of parliament and bits of paper. And we've seen a lot of success so far with opposing this mining company Adani. They're putting off their contractors. They can't get their money. They can't get money. To, um, they sunk a billion dollars into this project. We went to various banks in the world. We went to the Bank of America, Citibank. We sat down Goldman Sachs, the Export-Import import Bank in, uh, in Washington. We went to uh, Standard Charters in England. We went to Zurich. And we sat down with these people. And we had a call first impression but they, they're going to create a dialogue with us because people know this the world is changing and you talk about globalisation well there's also these global laws like the free prior and informed consent like the international covenant on civil and political rights you know, like the universal declaration of human rights that Australia knows and they've ratified it in the Aboriginal Protection Act 2015. So, in conclusion, the fight to the country will continue. It will continue with the government, it will continue in the, in the, in the courts, and we will continue to fight all of these mining companies that come to try to destroy our land. And while I'm on this watch, I will stand with my people and I will stand and fight. I'll fight against Clive Palmer and Gina Reinhardt. They're all there. That's in, the, in our country. They, that, you know, these are the rich billionaires in this country. Well, they're going to have to go across my dead body because that's how far I'm going to go because I'm there to protect the land. I live in Claremont. Going back to the country there where my father and grandfather, great-grandfather comes from, I'm going to keep that dreaming alive. And we're going to keep handing that on to our children. And um, I would like to, in the last moments, I would like to invite my niece, Mara. She's been along, come along with the campaign. And I'll uh, invite her to say something. And uh, um, I'm sure that um, you will enjoy just this last moment. But thank you, uh, Vicky, and thank you for allowing me to come and speak today. I know that um, I could have gone on, but I think I've said what I need to say. But um, I want to invite Marawa. Um, Marawa is, uh, like I said, uh, my grandmother's uh, brother's side. But uh, yeah, is that all right? We do. We do have a, um, um, a few little um, things from our website that we just want to just flick through. Maybe while Marawa comes up and says something, is that okay for a minute? Thanks.
Hello, my name is Marwa Johnson um, from central Queensland, Wanganjagalingu country, part of the broader Wurdi people. Um, so we were, then we weren't, now we are going to play this video for just a second. Hopefully it plays. <laughs> just a short video of some of the work that we've been doing. That was to kick off the start of our campaign, which we launched in March of this year. Um, pardon me. Just want to say a big thank you to my uncle, Adrian. He's an amazing man, and he has really driven our campaign and this fight that we've had with Adani so far. Um, as you said, in October of 2014, last year, Adani came to us... Um, for the second time with a proposed Indigenous land use agreement asking us to extinguish our native title rights for them to build the largest open-cut coal mine in the southern hemisphere on our country. Um, we said no, we continued to say no, and we will always say no because the Galilee Basin is one of the largest untapped coal reserves in the world. If Adani were to go ahead and build the rail line that they plan to build to link to the Abbott Point coal port, um, then it'll make it a lot easier for the proposed 10 other mega mines to come into the Galilee and use Adani's rail line to... Um, so this is our big fight. This is a front line, I guess. We're on the front foot against Adani. Um, as my uncle Adrian said, we have a federal court case um, proceeding at the moment. Um, I guess Uncle Adrian could speak to this again, but the first and major front of that is that um, 
the declaration of the rights of Indigenous people has been breached in our negotiations with the Dani because they failed to fully inform us of the impacts that um, this mine would have, not just on our land, but on our water. We know this, but um, it's part of their obligation and their duty to have it, I guess, um, made, made aware of, um, in a formal sense. Um, so, our people, after saying no to Adani, said, okay, where to now? Because the following money, um, Monday, pardon me, Adani um, went to the Native Title Tribunal um, to put in an application for a compulsory acquisition of our land. Um, too many times the Native Title Tribunal has failed Aboriginal people in this sense. Um, too many times we've seen our people have to just bow down and stand aside as mining companies are allowed to come in and rape and pillage and destroy the land and leave it with a big toxic hole in the ground and leave us with absolutely no way to continue to practice our culture. Um, I wasn't really prepared. I just got called up. Um, but I guess I'll do a little bit of... So we're going against the Dani in court. The following week after we served them with our federal court documents, um, they have cancelled four of their engineering contracts and part of these contracts are actually the crucial... This is the basis to build the whole project, so that's a success for us, that's a win. As we extend um, the time period out that um, everything's on hold at the moment while we're in court, the price of coal continues to drop and so the project becomes more and more uh, economically unviable every day. Um, so that's just a little bit about the project and what we're doing. But I would like to um, speak and say a little bit about why I'm here specifically. Um, so, my name is Marwa Johnson. I'm from central Queensland. My whole life I've been raised on country and it's only now that I'm at university that I live in the city. Um, from the time I, was, I went to my first sacred site, it's a it's a, it's a waterhole and it's a birthing place for women. I think why our people and our family council gave us the mandate that they've given us to take this fight on and to go, to go around the world and to speak with First Nations people like the Chippewan and the Cree um, that we've learnt so much from and also to speak with banks and sort of challenge, rally and lobby them not to fund this project is because... Um, our people have acknowledged that this fight is exhausting, it's tiring and it really wears our old people out um, and our family council have they believe that it's important that our young people have a say which is why I'm here um, a bit about me is I'm actually um, also the state coordinator 
now for Queensland, for SEED, Australia's first Indigenous Youth Climate Action Network. We're working together to, to protect country through protecting, through, I guess, fighting for climate justice, simply because while the waters continue to rise, the Torres Strait Islands are going to sink. While summers continue to get hotter and hotter and hotter, our people out west will be driven towards the coast because there's no water sources out there. Um, and how can we continue to practice our culture on country and to go back and to connect and to walk and dwell with the spirits that are around us? If there's no water, there's no life source, there's no animals, there's no birds, and there's nothing um, for us to... I'm getting chased the stage. Um, so I guess um, a little bit... Just one more, one more thing. I guess... Um, so we are challenging the whole native title process in the Federal Court of Australia. If that fails, we plan to go to the High Court of Australia, and from there we are seeking the help of the UN as well. Um, we believe that our fight is one that we lead, but it's also a global issue, and it's more than just that. It's a human issue, because this mine, if it were to go, to go ahead, the devastation it would cause, not just to our country physically and immediately, but long-term and to the entire world. Um, I cannot stand by and let this happen. My uncle can't and our people will not. We've taken on the responsibility to protect our country, but not just that, to protect the, the country of all of our indigenous brothers and sisters around the world. Already there are islands in the Pacific, Fiji specifically, that are sinking because of climate change. Um, and we recognise that this is a global issue and also in order to keep intact and to protect from globalisation our unique, beautiful and distinct cultures, then we have to continue to fight mining, the industries that oppress us, the systems and institutions that oppress us, and that's what we plan on doing. Thank you. Well, this could not be better... I think it's wonderful. Can we have just another round of applause for this panel? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.